Alrighty, well, hey, apparently some of you guys, all of you guys, uh, were taking the last three-week study on prayer life uh, uh, very serious because we're actually in a new chapter. You've been praying, please, God, get to a new one, please help. But that's right, that's my theory. And that's right, on page 55, you will see we're in chapter 5 on the issue of personal Bible study. All right, is the topic there as we take a look. And of course, what we've been doing the last uh, uh, several times is taking a look at the daily time with God issue. That was one chapter. It was broken into three sections. We're into those sections in greater detail. As we saw the last three times, we were in the first section was the issue of the importance of prayer life. And of course, the second one, now that we're getting into, is the issue of Bible study. Now, again, these are what? Just things that Christians do? No, these are things that we need to do in our, remember is the key word, relationship with God, okay? And it's like, well, what do you do? Just sit around and stare at the wall and think about God? No, I guess it beats a sharp stick in the eye. But we're starting to get down to specifics. You need to pray to God. You need to keep those daily lines of communication open with him. As we saw, the theme was, at least what I'm getting from it, is we're moving from the issue of consistency to an attitude of dependency is what's going on there, okay? We have to understand the importance of prayer life and be dependent upon that if we're going to be doing great things for God. Because remember, as we saw, not to belabor that, we were there for three weeks, is if we do not pray to God, if we don't even speak to God, I mean, oh man, how would you like that if your, uh, your children never spoke to you? And they, I mean, that's just not good when you look at it through the eyes of a relationship. But if we do not communicate with God, in essence, we're saying, we don't need you, God. Thank you very much for saving me from hell, but... Uh, I'll just take it over from here. Okay, now we're getting to the other aspect of the issue of Bible study and the importance of that. Again, this is just something that Christians do when you look at it through the eyes of relationship, when you understand that if we want to do great things for God in this wicked world system, we have to be dependent upon him for his wisdom, for his strength, and for his power, and that's where this stuff comes from. And if you don't just want it once in a rare moment, then get down to that issue we've been seeing is it's got to become a daily, way of life is the whole theme that we're dealing with. Okay, enough of the introduction. Page 55, why should I study the Bible? Because you're the pastor. John, that was a rhetorical question that's just right here on the side here. Uh, thank you, though. Uh, it says this, I became a Christian at the age of 12. Not me, Robert. It was just... Uh, this guy who wrote this, apparently. And uh, he says, at the age of 27, you would think that I would have been quite spiritually mature, right? Hooked up math, how old, how many, how much, how many years has transpired? 13, that's right. Okay, well, pfft, nothing could be further from the truth. At the spiritual age of 15, I was 15 years old in the Lord, okay, I was a spiritual runt. Uh-oh, does that ever happen to Christians? Uh-huh. Now, we talked about this before. I had an instructor, his analogy that he'd always use for people in this condition, Christians, okay, he would call them baby Huey Christians. You guys remember that cartoon? Okay, back there, it's kind of like the Woody Woodpecker days. You know, Popeye, those good ones. The guy that had the deformed forearms, but he ate that green stuff anyway. But anyway, so Baby Huey was a big old giant duck. Remember that? Okay, but Baby Huey was a big old giant duck, but what did he wear? What was his attire? Diapers, okay? So he was big. Uh, he should have been mature, but you know, he was still, still the kind of the guy that wore diapers. And he'd always use that analogy, and I agree, is that sometimes you end up with Baby Huey Christians. Okay, you've been saved for a while. Oh, you're tall, if you will. You're mature. You're 15 years old in the Lord. Okay, but spiritually speaking, you're wearing diapers. You're still being a baby. And I'm telling you, this is part of this dependency attitude. Somewhere along the line, this ain't connecting with you. Okay, because God has determined for us to grow, spiritual growth, not spiritual sit there and do nothing. 
He doesn't want you to stay in diapers, okay? He uses baby analogies. Babies, when you feed them, and you feed them properly, they begin to what, Jennifer? They grow, really? That's right, they grow. Yeah, you know what was going on there. And it's the same thing spiritually is what's going on. But if you don't do what you need to do, and if you don't ingest what you need to ingest for spiritual growth, you're going to be a baby Huey Christian. You're going to, can you imagine if we could see what God sees in our spiritual condition? Can you imagine if God forced us to walk around with the appropriate attire based upon what he sees in our hearts is our spiritual condition? In other words, can you imagine if we had to come here and we had to wear diapers? I'll leave that analogy alone because I can get in trouble with that because that could, but anyway, so uh, let's go on to not the issue with baby Huey uh, issue with Christians. You're, you're still being a runt. Now listen, we talked about this before. I think really, guys, this is an epidemic, okay, and I'll use that word, in the American church. Okay, and the reason why is because what I have learned uh, in ministry over, uh, over time is typically when you go to the average American church service, you got four different groups of people, okay? And uh, basically, I just play the, the even numbers, if you will, and I just play the 25%, even though that's an odd number, but four of them together it makes an even number, uh, but 25%, okay? And typically, on average, across the American church, been on both coasts uh, now, throughout across America, and got all kinds of contacts, you know, through the media ministry, but it, it's the same typical behavior that goes on in the American church. 25% of people who goes to a, a church service typically is a spiritual-born, again, Christian. Can I translate that for you? Discipleship, that's what we're doing. They're growing in the Lord, okay? They, they're not a spiritual runt, Okay, they've been, when they got saved, they got plugged into some, a good daily routine, good daily time with God. They never lost sight, my theory is, of that relationship with God, and they've just been grown steady ever since. They're a spiritual born-again Christian, what God wants all of us to be. Remember he says uh, in Matthew 28, the great commission, not the grand suggestion, okay? He says to go into all the world and make a bunch of baby Hueys. Go into all the world and just stay around. Go into all the world and make disciples, Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so spiritual Christians, that's about 25%. Now, the other 25% are basically your baby Christians. Okay? Two categories, I would say, baby Christians. Baby in new, as in they just got saved. So that's where you start. So you're going to have people that are in that condition. But you're going to have people been saved for a long time, and that's where they're a baby, all right, but they're a baby Huey. Because they've been saved for 25 years, but they haven't grown up. And so they literally are having spiritual diapers on, okay? Now, the third category of people that you typically find uh, is not just spiritual, you got the baby, then you got what's called the religious, okay? Now, the religious people are the people, they are not even saved. Do non-saved people go to church services? Uh-huh. Do non-saved people get into positions of authority in churches? Do non-saved people uh, teach classes in church services? Do, uh, do they get behind the pulpit? Mm-hmm. We talked about that before. I can tell you actual testimonies and stories of that. As wild as that is, that's what's going on in the American church today. Now, what can fool some people, uh, some of the times with these religious people, they are really attracted to, and I've had to deal with these folks uh, various times, they are attracted to the Christian belief because of the morals, right? They just want their kids brought up in a godly fashion. That's great, but they've never bowed a knee before Jesus Christ. They never called upon his name and trusted him uh, and his work on the cross for the salvation of their souls. They are still trusting in their works. They think they're a pretty good person. Okay, people still to this day, you know, all you got to do is cut to the chase. If you were to die today, okay, on what basis would God allow you into heaven? And if they say anything but Jesus, I'm sorry, there's, there's, there's trouble there. 
It ain't because you pray. It's not because you go to church services. It's not because you got baptized. It's not because uh, you serve in this and doing that. No, it's, it's through Jesus Christ, okay? So there's a lot of people out there. Now, here's what I've learned is very uh, illusory about this statistic. Sometimes these people doing the religious, dare I say Christian religious things, hey, I'm talking about people that work their tail off. I mean, they are working hard. They might even be teaching Sunday school. They're helping out with the food pantry. They're doing this. They're even giving financially to the church. They're doing all this stuff. Now, if you look on the outside, sometimes they can outshine these people. They look more like a Christian than some of these people, but they're still not even born again. Okay, you got to peel between the layers. Uh, uh, how do you get to heaven? Now, then the other one is you got your basically, your other final one is your agnostics or atheists or whatever, or their grandma drug them there or their whatever, or somebody made them there or you know, whatever you got that. So basically, if you look at the stats of the American church, this is why I call it an epidemic, okay, is if you wanted to be fair about it, if you will, uh, 50% of people who go to the American church today, the services aren't even born again. Now, does that explain some problems in the American church today? Does that explain why there's so much turmoil, so much division, so much lack of unity, so much bickering, so much, half of them still need to know Jesus Christ. Now, believe it or not, I'm being generous. D. James Kennedy, uh, who's since uh, gone to be with the Lord, and uh, he actually throws out his rule, and he's had much more experience than I did ever in ministry. You know what his number was? Mine's 50%. His unequivocally wrote in his biography, read it, it was a great book, by the way, very inspiring, uh, 80%, he says, aren't born again in his experience going to church services. 80%. He says one of the things that he relies upon for that, that he's just learned in ministry, is because there's a rule, and it's called the 2080 rule. 20% of the people do 100% of the work, while 80% of the people do zilcho. He says, you know why? Because 80% of the people, they don't know Jesus Christ. Because his theory was, uh, and his comments were, in experience, and again, only God knows the heart, but in experience, um, if a person who says that they're truly born again, but they have absolutely no desire to live for Jesus, to do something for Jesus, something's wrong. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying you got to be here, uh, you know, 24/7, all that stuff. And I'm nothing, nothing. You just punching your time clock and maybe show up once in a while, and that's it. You don't get involved. You don't give. You don't give your time, your resources, your tongue, your talents. Nothing. That's a red flag. He put the number even higher. Okay. Now again, I think there's an epidemic, and part of this aspect is you got a lot of people who are going to church services. They st- did you know that a lot of churches do not give the gospel? Before I left the uh, uh, East Coast, the former pastor who had pastored the church that I was pastoring back there, he was there for 17 years, and he had come back. He would just recently retired. He would pastored another church after he left there, then retired, and he was back visiting the congregation. And uh, he, uh, after the service, he was very, very thankful, specifically wanted to make the comment that thank you for sharing the gospel after the service. He said, since I've been retired, I've been going around churches, and he says, you will not believe how many churches will not give the gospel. We're in a heap of trouble. We have to get back to this issue of daily time with God. That's the issue of prayer life. Now we're on the issue of that people are being spiritual runs. And, and, and sometimes, even if you've got these people in positions, they're acting like it. Now, have you ever noticed with the baby? There's a couple things I've noticed with babies, okay? These people could be in positions of power. And so they're acting like babies, okay? And this is why with me, I'm, if my heart is seriously on discipleship. Okay, please don't take this the wrong way. But if you're going to pastor a church, would you rather pastor a church of 500 people who were spiritual babies acting like babies or 500 people who were on fire discipled Christians for Jesus Christ? 
Now, it takes time, and that's why we're deliberate about this, and that's why I'm excited you guys keep coming week after week, because this is showing me that you're serious. This is a good sign, okay, that you want to grow and continue to grow and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But you'll have people in positions of power who are not just not even saved, and that explains a lot of weird behavior in churches, doesn't it? Okay, but then you'll even get people who are babies, and either baby in new or baby as in Huey, as in they're still wearing spiritual diapers. Now, babies, one of the things I notice with babies is they make messes. How many guys can confer with that? Babies make messes, okay? You know why a lot of times there's messes in churches? That's exactly right. You just let out a big old sigh. <laughs> it's a baby issue. It, typically it is. You're, you're acting like a baby uh, for whatever reasons. Now, now, not just messes like they spilled the milk and created a turmoil and did stuff like that. I'm talking about uh, some other kind of messes. And uh, did you know that babies produce stinky stuff once in a while? Stinky? Stinky? You know why some stinky stuff goes on in church sometimes? People acting like babies. Okay, do these issues. Okay, now another thing about babies is they require a lot of care, constant care, care this, this, that, whatever. But again, I think a lot of churches get taxed out, if you will, because people just you're spinning your wheels doing all kinds of stuff, but you're not uh, helping them grow from being a baby. Of course, you got to take care of a baby. I'm not saying let's not let's don't take care of each other. Uh, I'm not saying that. But as you take care of a baby, the natural process of that baby is eventually it's going to grow up and then it's going to learn to begin to walk on its own, and then, hey, what a concept. It might be in a position to turn back around and start helping taking care of, of another baby. You see what I'm saying? But if you're not deliberate about a discipleship in a church, okay, then everybody's going to stay babies. They're going to create messes. It's going to stink. They're going to require lots of care, and you're getting nowhere, okay? And, and, and so we need to be deliberate about that. So that's what he says. After 15 years, he was still a baby Huey happens all the time okay well how do you get out of that why because i had not presented my body as a living sacrifice open that text again romans chapter 12 let's take a look at what he's talking about for 15 notice it wasn't 15 days man i made a mistake for two weeks and one day for those once again hooked on math i made a serious mistake 15 years went by 15 Fifteen years went by that he could have been a disciple of Jesus Christ doing great things for him. It's gone. Said it before, I'll say it again as you turn there, guys. For uh, The enemy cannot take away our salvation. That's plan A. Plan B is to get you to do anything and everything but live for Jesus Christ. And part of living effectively for Jesus Christ is to become a disciple. So if he can take away your time, if he can get you away from this, he's got you. Plan B is working well on us. Okay, let's take a look. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, okay, is the text, and here's what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. Now, notice it's a living sacrifice. It's not a dead sacrifice like the Old Testament uh, uh, priesthood, right, where you can just go purchase an animal and let somebody else pay the price for you. Hey, we never do that, do we? We don't just like, you know, it's a lot easier uh, to cut a check than it is to cut some time, isn't it? It's a lot easier trying to shuffle responsibility off onto somebody else than it is to personally get involved, isn't it? We're not to be an Old Testament dead sacrifice. We're not to give it, really have that responsibility on somebody else. We are the sacrifice every single day. That's what he's talking about, living sacrifice. Every single day, it's when you get out of bed, hopefully the first thing on your mouth is, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me from hell. Number two, Jesus, please use me today for your glory and honor, for the highest needs of we, your church, and for the sake of the lost. That's a living sacrifice. This is your day. This is your life. 
Praise God, I'm heading to heaven, but before I get there, please use this life as a living sacrifice to do something for you, okay? If you're appreciative of his mercy. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, literally in the Greek, logical act of worship. It's a logical response. If you're thankful for what God has done, that's what your attitude's going to be, okay? He had not done that. He had not gotten to the point in his daily walk with God that when he got up, the first thing on his brain was Jesus Christ. The second thing in his heart was that my will is for the will of God. This day is for God's day. That's a living sacrifice. I think, well, that's, that's a pretty neat standard. I'm telling you, if we don't have that as a mindset and as a heart set, dare I say, we're going to stay runs. Because you'll blow through that day and you won't do nothing for Jesus. Not, it's not just you won't spend time with Jesus. You'll do nothing for Jesus. You won't speak up for Jesus. You won't even think about Jesus until the next week. Maybe you'll show up for Sunday services. But every day, it's got to be this, no, I'm a, this body is his temple now. He indwells me by his Holy Spirit. Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Isn't that a thrill? Isn't that exciting that God, the creator of the universe, first of all, wants to use us, too, can use us, definitely in spite of us, in spite of me, okay? But why would we want to waste that opportunity on frivolous things that will matter for nothing? We've got to develop, if we're going to stay away from this guy, because I'm telling you, this is a real guy. This really happened. 15 years, gone. Because he'd never gotten to that point. Every day he got up in that routine, I'm living for Jesus. This is Jesus' life. It's his day. It's his time. What do you want me to do? Jesus. Okay, as you go about the day. He says this. It's a commitment to live life the Lord's way. That presentation, if genuine, will have some practical outworkings. Two of the most important outworkings are prayer and personal Bible study. At the age of 27, I developed, and this is when it finally began to click, I developed a pattern of prayer and personal Bible study with a goal to maintain that practice daily. Underline that word, daily. Okay, not just something to do. I really think you need to back up the train and check your heart. Why are you existing? Why are you sucking air? Why did you get up that day? Why did God give you that day? It's for him. It's his life. But see, we can just go, oh, that's a neat concept, and go up the next day, you wake up, and it's right out your brain. Next thing you know, 15 years goes by until you get convicted again. Okay, and that's what he says. It's got to be a, a daily practice, okay? He says, now, eight years later, it didn't take long, this practice has changed my life. I've read through the Bible four to five times, and over the years, God has taught me much about the power of prayer, okay? Now, by the way, this is part of the reason why I have a heart for discipleship and being deliberate about it, okay? is because this is what happened to me. It wasn't my plan. It was God's plan and his sovereignty. Eight weeks after I got saved, you guys know my testimony. I'm in Bible college, and then later on in seminary. Okay, and so basically seven years of putting the nose to the grindstone at all the years of seven years working uh, during the day, going to school at night for seven years, nose to the grindstone, serving internships, serving in the church, all that stuff, working full time the whole time. Okay, married the whole nine yards. Okay, for seven years, nose to the grindstone in the Bible, in the Bible, in the Bible, in the Bible. I didn't begin to preach that until the fourth year in Bible college, what God was doing for me. People look at me like, because I, I, as you know, I have no church background. I didn't have Sunday school stories to rely upon. I couldn't hardly told you a Jonah and the Whale story. What? I didn't, zero. And the next thing you know, it's like, boom, like uh, packing uh, jet fuel in my walk with Jesus. Why? Because I was in a program that was forced me, i.e. the schoolwork, if you will, to put the parameters on, and every single day, I had no option. 
I didn't have the liberty to not study the Bible. And I certainly didn't have the liberty to not pray. Are you kidding me? How am I going to make it through this, God? You know, but it's constantly be surrounded by the word of God in prayer. And then I was surrounded by Christians who were serious. Not baby Huey. I mean, on fire, flames come out of their ears, Christians. Every single day, it was just, whoa. People go, how'd you go so fast? It ain't me. This is why I want to do this for us here at Sunrise. It's this. It's the daily consistency dependency with time with God. Prayer is one, Bible study is the other. And you do that, hey, you're going to pack jet fuel in your own walk with Jesus Christ. But you got to be deliberate about it. It's that living sacrifice mentality. Here's what he says. He said, I read through the Bible four to five times over the years. God's taught me much about the power of prayer. I understand what Christ did for me at the cross and how he set me free to live a life all for myself now. I'm sorry, righteousness. It's for him now. I understand my role as a husband and a father from the one who instituted marriage. I realize it's my responsibility to love others as Christ loved me. My wife and I are on a budget because we understand that the material possessions and finances we have are God's. And if we're called to be his wife, uh, we're called to be his wife stewards, such spiritual growth is impossible, underline that, without the commitment and practice. Can I translate that for you? Daily uh, sacrifice your spiritual uh, sacrifice, with such spiritual growth is impossible without commitment and practice to personally studying the Bible for yourself. The word of God changed me and it can change you too. You guys have heard, I'm sure, the classic saying, the height of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and over again, yet expect different results. Are you sick and tired of your walk with Jesus Christ? Where are you at? In the doldrums, in the ditch. It just seems like, man, you hit this plateau as a Christian. You're not going somewhere. Hey, change. Do something different. Get back to a daily walk with Jesus Christ. It's that simple. And notice the side effect. Personally, we're supposed to do this because we love God, period. Spend time with him. And we're thankful for what he's done, not because we have to. We've talked about that before. But notice the spillover effect for him personally and his whole household. All of God's commands are for our good. And when we spend time with him, we're going to be blessed by it. This is good stuff. The Bible, as we saw before, is the only book on the planet that can unbrainwash us from the lies of this world. And so if we're not in here daily getting washed from the brainwashing, we're never going to expect it. We're not going to experience the full impact of that. It's, that's where you got to get back down to the issue, not just prayer, but with the Bible study, okay? Let's take a look at some review. Uh, as mentioned in the Daily Time with God, the Apostle Paul tells us the reason for Bible study in this passage from the book of Romans. Again, Romans chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed, is your blank there, do not be conformed. Remember the, uh, the uh, J.B. Phillips translation. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Remember that? Okay, it's just like a piece of clay, and we're being molded every single day. See, that's the illusion. We, we think there's some static ground. Uh-uh. The world's trying to pound on you and mold you into its image, and God, the Holy Spirit's working on That's the conflict that we experience every day. You and I, every single day, are being molded into something. And if we ain't got this going, I'm telling you, we're going to start turning out. We're going to start acting like the world. Okay? And he says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Is your blank there? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. In this statement, we can see the importance of daily Bible study. Okay? 
and the, the, uh, as he says there, as a result, our sin nature, okay, sin nature, your next two blanks there, which desires to do that which is opposed to God, shocker, and the continual ungodly message, ungodly message of our lost society on us, we have a need to have our minds renewed daily, okay, daily. John, how did you get to become such an expert at uh, MRI technology? You read the TV guide one time, and it just uh, popped in your brain. It's a gift from God. But throughout the years, you probably had to do a little bit of studying. You know, I had to pay attention to some things, you know what I'm saying? just didn't. You didn't go to Walmart and buy that can of uh, MRI technology knowledge and pour it on your head. And it just didn't work that way, you know what I'm saying? Orson, how did you become a master mechanic? Just one time, you, you read an article online, and phew, there you went. Years and years of what? Experience, experience that comes with practical information. It's the same thing, guys. How do you become a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's study. It's just, it's just like any arena of life. Now, translate it. We know that when it comes academically. We know that when it comes to our hobbies, right? Jim, how'd you become a massive, incredible uh, concerto tuba player? Oh, no, come on. Are you serious? Oh, I was going to say, whoa, dude, that was, that was a weird moment. Thank you. Hey, touche. Right on, bro. That's good. That's right. Now, how do you, we know that in our hobbies. We know that academically in life. Of course, if you don't study hard, you'll never blah, 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 blah. Hey, if you don't uh, get serious with Jesus Christ, how do you expect to become a disciple? It's the same thing, guys. We all have these great aspirations. I remember in Bible college, it, you reach to this point and you hear people's conversations. It's like people wanted to talk more about doing something for Jesus Christ than acting on it. And I remember I was reading through the book of Acts and I said, you know, the book of Acts, that's just it, isn't it? We all talk about the book of Acts. Look at God, he did these miracles, did all this stuff, and wouldn't it be cool, the early church and that? Hey, why don't you act on it? That was the pun to me, okay? Act on, do something. <laughs> we're just, we're Christians just like they were, Right? We serve the same God. is the same yesterday, today, forever. He can still do miracles today. He can do great things through us. Can I tell you something? He wants to. That's what we saw before in Ephesians 2, 8, and 10. He's prepared in advance these good works prepared for us to do. He's got good stuff for us to do. Okay? He doesn't want us to be baby Huey Christian. Let's continue on. He says this, and we've got to uh, have a need for our minds renewed daily. Bible study is essential for at least three practical reasons. They include spiritual growth. Is your first blank there? Spiritual maturity, your second blank there, and spiritual effectiveness. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, and spiritual effectiveness. <laughs> you guys smell that? It smells like these pages are on fire. We just made through a whole page. Woo! Yeah! Friction City coming on. I'll tell you, woo! Facts, English here. Woo! Page two. That's right. Spiritual warfare, that's a good one. That's right. Okay, let's take the top. Spiritual growth is the first one. Practical reasons. Why should we do this? Because we have to. Because I went to that Wednesday night discipleship study, and boy, I feel guilty now. Pastor Billy gave me the evil eye when I, uh, he, I, he was talking straight to me. You ever do that? You ever say, man, how do he know? Are you kidding me? I tell you all the time, are you kidding me? I'm in a whole other world up here. If I looked your direction, that was from God. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you what. Anyway, I'm serious, too. Uh, here's what he says, and he quotes Peter. Spiritual growth. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect uh, to salvation. My wife and I recently had our first child. Jennifer, this analogy is for you. Okay, the comparison that Peter was making becomes very vivid when we were awakened at three in the morning by a newborn baby longing for pure milk. 
At that point, nothing else will satisfy the little guy except the pure milk of his mother. Now listen, the goal of his longing is to meet his immediate hunger. Yes, but why is he hungry? Okay, here's the point. The end result is longing for growth. It helps him to grow, okay? He will grow physically as long as he's feeding on the pure milk of his mother, and the same thing is true with us, okay? In our spiritual hunger, now that's the issue. What are you hungering for? And I'll tell you what you're hungering for, myself included. That which you do with your time. That tells you what you're hungry for. Okay? And so here's what he says. He says that uh, that's the hunger for the, for the baby physically. And he says this, he'll grow physically as long as he's feeding on the pure milk of his mother. And the same is true with us. In our spiritual hunger, our goal should be not just to grow in biblical knowledge. Remember, what's the whole point of Bible study? As we're going to see here in a second, it's not just to know things about God. This isn't just come up here, wow, did you hear that amazing factoid that Pastor Billy shared at that study? I never knew that. I had no idea that the Israelites back in the year 836 B.C., blah, 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 did this, and I, I never even heard of that town. That was amazing. Yeah. It's application. Okay? It's not about knowing a bunch of facts and figures about the Bible. It's about applying it in your walk with Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not just to grow in biblical knowledge, but ultimately to grow in spiritual stature is your blank there stature or spiritual growth okay have you ever run into a christian who knows a whole lot about the bible might even know more about the bible than you and what i'm talking about they can name all the stuff they can name all the factoids they can name all this stuff they can they can get even way behind in deep conversation uh, about the customs and the mannerisms and the people and the dates of writing this and that and this and that and whatever but you know what they're mean as the day is long they have zilcho compassion they're not out there sharing the gospel. They might be at the church, but the only reason what they're at the church for is because they can't wait to share their the secondary issue pet peeve. And everybody's got them. And, and we're supposed to be gathered together for the edification of one another, but the only time that they're here is because they have a particular translation that they like, and that's the one that they got to push. Or no, they have a particular bent on the spiritual gifts, and they got to make sure that you have the same concern on that. No, 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 they're a five-point Calvinist, but they heard you were a four-point, so they got to convince you that if you're not a five-point, you're not even saved. No, they got to, you know, it's sec, oh, no, here, oh, here's a class. Oh, they're, they're a pre-wrath Christian, uh, rapture, uh, and, uh, but you're a pre-trib, so now they're going to go to town. And you, I mean, you're sitting there talking about the weather, and uh, one, they, they always find a way to, weed, no, hey, yes, that is a nice sunny day, but speaking of the day, I've heard that the day of the Lord does not come until the blah, 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 and that those who believe in the pre-trib rapture, that's the mark of the beast, and you're going to hell, and you're going to... said, dude, I was just talking about the weather, and besides, we've already talked about this 9,322 times. It's not about just knowledge. Paul says what in Corinthians? He says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's what you do with it that counts. Right? And so in our study with the Bible, this isn't just so we can learn and get that 500 daily double column if we ever get on Jeopardy and they actually have biblical knowledge is one of the things. Yay, I'm going to get it right. I know Noah's dog's favorite brand of ice cream. Alex calling me. No. It's not about that. It's about application, okay? And that's what it is, okay? Uh, you can grow in biblical knowledge without growing in spiritual maturity, okay? As Hendricks questions, are you growing old or growing up? See, that's the other issue. 
Christians know a lot about the Bible, but how much of it is applied? That's another waste of time. Just like the Christians who stay baby Hueys, okay, and you don't grow, period. These people grow in their knowledge. They get these big, giant, enormous heads, but their heart's about that big. That's another trap, okay? Now, if you can figure out some sort of cartoon character that matches that, let me know and I'll start using them. But anyway, that's right. Uh, he says this, spiritual maturity can be defined as the depth of our knowledge of God, not the amount we know about God's word. We must seek to know God, not just about him. Do you understand the difference there? You must seek to know him, get to know him. The book is about Jesus. Get to know Jesus, not just facts about him. Okay? Spiritual maturity is the next one. Concerning him, we have much to say, is what he says there. And it's hard to explain since you have become, uh-oh, dull of hearing. What's that? I'm sorry, dull of hearing. What? That never happens to Christians. You just sit there and you, oh, here's a comment. Here's, here's a sign that you are actually immature. Oh, I've already heard that before. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, I, yeah when I was a Christian, yeah, we dealt with I don't need that class because we, we dealt with that when I was first saved. I don't want to, why are we, why are we, I don't want to listen to this again. Why are we listening to this again? I already know this. This is so basic. Paul tells Timothy, young preacher, to always be teachable. Can I translate that for you? You're always learning. And the moment you think, Christian, you know everything, and you don't need to know things, and you don't need a refresher, even if you did hear before. Can I tell you something? Better be careful. You might be showing your immaturity. Okay? How many times have you read through the Word of God and it was the 57th time that you read it, it, it got you? Right? What if you stopped on the 56th time saying, oh, I don't need to hear that. I read that 56 times. You missed the blessing. Everything is orchestrated of God for our good. And if you heard it before, maybe he wants you to hear it again. Because maybe it didn't stick the first 722 times. Okay, he knows what he's doing, okay? He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now listen, you're still baby Hueys, man. Every single one of you should be teachers, is what he's saying here. Okay, but now I can't even do that. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have become to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern between good and evil. Okay? It's what he's going there. The instructor had another process, a natural process for the Christian. Okay? Everybody grows at different rates, but you should grow. Okay? Your knowledge base does begin to change. First of all, you start off with milk, Right? I'm not going to go and sit there and go into six different positions on the rapture with somebody that got saved uh, last week. Give me a break. That's your... You start trying to feed meat to a baby. It's not, it's not there. That's not what you need to know. Okay? But then eventually you start to get to some sort of meat topics. Not quite meat there. You're in mush. How many guys as a parent, you, you literally, you prayed like you never prayed before when you finally got to get to that rice meal from the baby and they actually slept through the night. Anybody there? Praise God for mush. You know what I'm saying? That was awesome stuff. You know, they got some some substance in their gut and they got to sleep for more than nine nanoseconds. But anyway, so, but then eventually you don't stay eating mush. How many guys are, are still eating that nifty baby food that your mom gave you however many years ago? How many guys secretly as grandparents or as parents, uh, uh, you actually take a little bite and it tastes pretty good. That the, I like the cherry stuff, the cherry pudding stuff. It's not too bad. Come on. Anyways, anyway, so then, then eventually you get to meat is the natural process, right? You don't stay at milk. You don't just stay in mush, 
Okay, you don't start off with meat, but there's a process. You go from milk to mush to meat. Okay, that's your three M's. If you can't preach, you ain't got no preach in you. So there's your three-point outline. So milk, mush, and meat is the natural progression that we need there. Okay, this passage makes it very clear that with time, we are all to grow in our understanding of spiritual things. Just as a physical baby, okay, physical baby goes from milk to solid food, in time, we are to do the same in spiritual things. And that was the writer of Hebrews' complaint. Give me a break, guys. What in the world? It's been umpteen years, and you're still eating milk? And or your knowledge base is still at milk level? What? You guys ought to not just be eating meat. You should be teaching other people this whole process. Something's wrong here. Now, that could be, I would say, in a couple different reasons. One, of their own doing because they're hungering for something else. Could also be because of the churches they're in don't teach the word of God, period. And so they're getting either no food or they're getting some milky food with poison mixed into it, so their growth is stunted. Or, dare I say, there's a trend in the American church today is um, don't say anything bad. Just deal with all the fluffy topics. Don't say anything convicting. And so what, in essence, you end up uh, not getting the meat that you need. Okay, because people are more concerned about finances and numbers than the word of God, than people growing up in truth, okay? And that's what he says. There's something wrong with you guys, okay? We are first uh, to learn the elementary principles or milk, i.e. the basics, and then move on to solid food, Bible doctrine and ministry skills. And that's what I like about this uh, uh, discipleship study that we're on. That's exactly what this does. We're starting with the basics, and as we progress, you're gonna get to mush, and then you're going to get to meteor topics. We're going to get down and deep on some serious issues on the doctrine, the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, serious discussion about the Trinity. We'll even get into some apologetics. How do we prove the existence of God? We'll deal with the issue of creation versus evolution, intelligent design. But we're not there yet. But that's what I like about this study is slowly, methodically, we are going from milk to mush to meat. Exactly what he's talking about there. He says this, No one ever became a man without being a boy. Has anybody ever circumvented that uh, uh, track other than Kenny. Hey, Kenny, I don't know how you did it, but let us know later. Uh, but here's what happens. The same is true of spiritual growth. Uh, the writer says you are a mature if you have trained yourself through constant use of scripture to distinguish between good and evil, okay? And here it is, the, the final one, spiritual effectiveness, at least for tonight. All scripture, I love this passage, man. We will quote this, but it's like, do we have any clue what we just read? Okay, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for four things. Teaching is number one. Teaching is number one. Number two, for reproof. Okay, you know what that literally means in the Greek? Rebuke. How many guys get up every day and go, whoa, yeah. I sure hope somebody somehow before I go to sleep again tonight rebukes me. That's the word that's used here. Okay, and this is talking about the word of God. For correction... Next one, for correction, okay, guess what? You're wrong, okay? Chalk it up, you're wrong, okay? And for training in righteousness is your next one. Four things there, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, okay? Why? That the man of God, this discipleship process, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, here's what I think we miss all the time, and this is what I think the American church is doing a detriment to the American church when you only teach about the fluff. If you only teach about heaven, you only teach about God's forgiveness, and that's true, and that's good stuff. 
But you never talk about God's wrath. You never talk about his hatred towards sin. You never talk about this issue. We need to grow up mature. You never talk about your need to serve. Things that, you know, uh, uh, rebuke us and correct us when we're out of line. You are not, you know what you just did to your congregation? Uh, so that the people of God may not be adequate and equipped for every good work. Can I tell you something? You think you're doing them a service? You're forcing them to stay baby Hueys. Because you won't tell them the whole truth. The word of God. Listen, guys, there was four things there. Let's once again, apparently we're hooked on math tonight. That means 50% of the time when we read the Bible, we're in a Bible study over time, okay, from the pulpit, wherever you get in, uh, confronted with the word of God, half the time you and I should be squirming. Right? If we're truly know, showing ourselves to be in a, an appropriate uh, position for discipleship, half the time I'm being rebuked, one-fourth of the time, and another-fourth of the time I'm being corrected. Yes, praise God, it's for teaching. Yes, it's training me in righteousness. But you know what? Half the time, it's showing me where I'm wrong, which again, is for my own good. But if you only hear the fluff, something's wrong there, okay? And he says this. He tells us the importance of knowing God's words as it relates to spiritual effectiveness. Paul says that all scripture is profitable, but profitable for what? Okay, top page 57. He mentions four things. First, for doctrine or teaching, that is, it will structure your thinking, and that's crucial because if you are not thinking correctly, you are not living correctly. Now listen to this. What you believe will determine how you behave, right? If we live in a society that has taken the Bible out of the minds of the school kids, has taken out of the minds of the people, okay, and if basically now it's been supplanted with a lie that there is no God, why are we shocked when our world has all of a sudden become ungodly? If we tell kids every single day the lie not from the Bible. The Bible has a different story. The lie that you came from an ape, why are we shocked when they act like an ape? If we tell the people the lie in their brains that uh, there is no reason for life, there is no purpose to life, when you die, you go back to the ground to be worm bait, then why are we shocked when they have no respect for life? What you believe determines how you behave. We have been... Guys, I didn't get saved until I was 25. So that means I had 25 years of being brainwashed from the lies of this world. What you believe determines how you behave. And the more that I get washed, and you get washed, my brain, by this book that is the truth, the more that we experience that, okay, and we're brought out of the lies. And our behavior starts to come in tow. Why? Because it's a rule. What you believe determines how you behave. Right? If you think that you're always right on every single thing, that determines your behavior. But when you read the word of God and he says, no, don't think so, here's what you need to do. It corrects your behavior. And again, it's all meant for our good. That's what he says, the first one. He also says it's profitable for rebuke. That is, it's gonna tell you when you're out of bounds. It's like an umpire cries out or safe. It tells you what is sin. It tells you what God wants for your life. He provides the standards. Did you know that God is the one who makes the rules? Mm-hmm. He does. Okay. Third, it's profitable for, for correction. Did you, uh, do you have a closet where you put all the junk uh, that you uh, can't uh, find room anywhere else? Anybody want to confess that? Anybody want to confess that was one of these serious, uh, intense moments of fellowship that Brandy and I had when we were first married? I decided to be a guy and clean the house, Roberto. That's right. But see, my methodology of cleaning the house is radically different than my wife. Hers is the stuff actually goes in the appropriate spot. 
I know no such thing as a spot. I know just get it out of sight. Goes under the couch, goes whatever. Dude, we can get it done in five minutes, huh? It's, we're like, what do you mean you spent all afternoon cleaning the house? Come on, get real. I can do this thing in five minutes. Okay, well, apparently, uh, I decided to uh, shove a bunch of stuff in the closet that we had. And so when my wife went there, uh, it was quite the art. It was abstract. I had things that were toppled on there, and you, you had to close the door just correctly. Well, what I put on the very top was my heavy-duty toolbox. So when, uh, apparently it was spring-loaded, <laughs> because when she opened the door, right on her toe. She did the happy dance. She proceeded to call her family, and I got the evil eye for nine months. But anyway, that's right. Let's continue on. Uh, do you have one of those closets? Okay, you cram it in, then one day you forget and you open the door, and whew, she got marital troubles, and it all comes out. Uh, good night, you say, or buy cracky, or whatever it is. Uh, I better clean this thing up. Well, the Bible's like that. It opens the door in your life and provides a purifying dynamic to help you clean out sin and learn to conform to God's will which is good, which is the best for us. And again, I said it before, I'll say it again. Isn't that the lie of the evil one, that somehow following God's will, doing it God's way, listening to God, you're going to miss out on all the fun. Really? If you want to call sin fun and torment, and, and the, the, the pain that that comes as a result, it's crazy how he's got it all twisted. And fourth, uh, the advantage of the Bible is that it's profitable for training in righteousness uh, in righteous living. God uses it to show you how to live. Having corrected you on the negative, he now gives you the positive guidelines to follow in life, okay? Yet, once again, as we close, what do you see as the trend in the American church? I will do one-fourth or one-half of what the Bible is supposed to be doing. I'll teach you stuff that you like to hear, okay? And uh, we'll learn about training in righteousness, but I will not bring up those passages that talk about rebuke, and you're going to squirm, and I certainly won't go through a study that uh, deals with sin, and we're going to be constantly corrected. That's the American church. Now, again, can I tell you what this is leading to? It's not just leading to a whole batch of baby Huey Christians. Can I tell you something? It's also leading to what the Bible said would come in the last days. It's called apostasy. We'll close with this text. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. If you find 3 Timothy, what do you do? Hey, get another Bible. That's right. Second Timothy 4, here's what uh, Paul says. He said in the present, and he's talking to Timothy, young pastor. Here's his advice. Okay? He said, uh, verse 1, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. Did you know we're going to stand before God? He's not going to ask you, uh, well, why didn't you grow up? Why didn't you do this? Why don't you do what I ask you to do? That we're not going to be able to say, well, it was that preacher. It was the church. It was that wife. It was the snake. It was, you know, Adam and Eve stuff. No. We're each going to individually stand before God. He says, who's judged the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, and of course, yes, encourage with great patience. And careful instruction. Why? Because a time will come, and I think we're living in that time, when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, listen, their own desires. A life of self-centeredness, and it's all about self, and pleasing self, has to arise on the scene in order for that to happen. What is our world running with today? It's all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. Okay, we're living in those days. And so it's all about their self, not about God, 
not about Jesus, not about we are to do all things, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do for the glory of God, but they go to church services and they want what they want. It's that mentality, okay? He says this, for a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great, notice the word there, a great number of teachers to faithfully preach the word of God, which means half the time they're going to be convicted. Yeah, and you laugh and joy because you're growing. That's good. That's good food. That's what you should. No. A great number of teachers who will gather around them to, uh, to what? To say what their itching ears want to hear. Can I translate that for you? Another biblical term called a hireling. You'll go in there, and for whatever your justification is, could be fear, could be paycheck, could be, I don't know what it is, but you won't tell people the whole truth. You'll deliberately skip over passages in the Bible because you know it's going to offend people. Here's what it's leading to. He said, they will turn their ears away from the truth because now you're not giving it to them. Okay, and turn aside to myths. I'd rather listen to pop secular psychology than go through a study in Romans. I'd rather be told how I can be a 14 steps to a financially successful Christian than deal with Philippians. I don't want to do a study on Proverbs. Are you kidding me? That's convicting to the core. He cuts to the chase. Solomon does there. Wow. Don't tell me that. Why don't you just tell me how to learn to be a better me? And all this time, guys, People think that they're doing this uh, church a service. And the whole time you're doing two things. Whether the people realize it or not, and whether the people realize it who are teaching, you're forcing people to stay in spiritual diapers, and you're being a tool that's leading to what the Bible prophesied would come in the last days, the apostasy of the church. Where people will now turn aside to secular things instead of the word of God. Hey, but not here at sunrise. You gotcha. Hey, let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this. We don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, 
Uh, and you might think, well, that's that something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please. Take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. 
but God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.